morning to you, Rock Hill. Good morning to you as well online. If you're joining us, we're just so grateful that God has given us an opportunity to open up his word and be together and walk verse by verse through a book of the Bible. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be at verses 18 and 19 today. As many of you have heard, we are uh, having an event tonight for our ladies. And it reminded me, some of y'all are happy about that. Uh, it reminded me of this moment where a church was having a women's event, and they, the event was centered on bring something with you that has lost its usefulness, and maybe it's time to get rid of. The only problem is that many of the women who came to that event brought their husbands. Oh, boy. Here's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to deploy the parachute before I get to the text today, okay? Listen, I love preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible because it causes us to come across passages that are not difficult to understand, but they are difficult to apply. There's a sense in which the verses today are very clear, very simple, very straightforward. However, the application of it is where we get into the crosshairs, mostly because we are all coming from different places different avenues, different viewpoints, and here at Rock Hill, we want you, as we've been talking about in this series, to have a kingdom mindset. A kingdom mindset is where you don't allow the culture to define what marriage is supposed to look like. You don't allow the culture to define what even raising your children is supposed to look like. You let the kingdom to define, and therefore the scriptures to define, your marriage. And that means that we have to take an honest look and assessment as to where we are when it comes to our marriages. Notice that we're not doing a special series on marriage. We're just walking verse by verse through a text. And here, we're going to see a short yet obvious meaning to the text. But we're going to be challenged in how we're applying this text. You see, Christians are to have a different view of the world. We call it a Christian worldview. We see the world differently than the culture sees the world. We're just going to have a different approach. We're going to see things differently. And we're going to see things, Lord willing, from a kingdom mindset. A kingdom mindset is another way to say that Jesus is our Lord. You see, many of us in this room have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We call that Jesus being our Savior. That's a great thing. But you can't have Jesus as your Savior and Him not also be your Lord. Jesus being your Lord means that we are all in submission to Him and say, whatever the King wants is why we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, a kingdom down mentality is that Jesus is our Savior, but He's also going to be our Lord. If for Jesus to be your Savior means that you recognize that you're a sinner. Not only do you recognize that you're a sinner, you recognize that there's only one who can save you. And when you submit yourself to Him, confessing your sin to Him, He does that very thing. He saves you. And then when you're saved, you realize, as we've learned in verse 1 of this chapter, chapter 3, that you become chosen, holy, and dearly loved. And then there are some things you put off or you put to death. And there's some things that you put on in the walk of Christ. He then talks about in this text about how we are then to worship Him in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
And then he says in verse 17 that whatever we do, we're to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father who is in heaven. You see, a kingdom down mindset and a kingdom down mentality is that it changes how we look and how we live in this world. Now today, Paul is going to address one of the three areas we're going to address over the next three weeks. And that's the marriage, family, and work. All of us in this room have been impacted by marriage, by family, and by work. And what I love about the Bible is that it's not silent on these things that impact our real lives. So, if you have your Bibles, and you've opened them up to Colossians 3, we're going to start in verse 18. If you're there, will you say, word? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Now, it sounds like an exciting passage to open up today. <clears throat> now, in Colossae, you've got to understand, the man was the highest authority in the home. You could not question him. He was in charge. You are hard-pressed to find a historical document outside of the Bible that will actually give instructions to men on how they ought to love their wives. The wives would hear this, and they'd say, okay, next. Because that was just the world that they lived in. The difference here is that Paul is going to encourage them to submit as is fitting in the Lord. Our aim this morning is simply this. We would have the kingdom mindset in your marriage. A kingdom mindset in your marriage. First point, there's only two points today. First point is this, wives submit. Really? Wives submit, really, in the kingdom. Wives submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Now, if there are no other questions this morning, we can all go home. Now, some of you men were really giddy about coming to church today because you knew this was next on the verses that we we're going to deal with. And you are underlining it and, see, look, honey, and you're circling it. But some of you hear this verse and you kind of begin to bristle a little bit. The, the temperature gets a little bit chilly in the room and you begin to question everything that's going on because you hear this one word, submit. But in that day, it would not have offended them. In our day, it does offend us to one degree or another. So, we've got to ask some questions to make sure we're on the same page together and hopefully answer those questions this morning. The first question is this, who is this for? Who is this text for? This text is not for single people. This text is not for single people. Wives submitting. This text is for married Christian people. We're not talking about wives submitting in areas outside of, the, outside of the home, like the workforce. There are some that have taken this passage, and they'll say it applies for women in every sector, in every sphere, in every place. But this verse is within the context of a Christian home. So how do you know that? Well, again, we've talked about this in verse 1. He's talking to the chosen, holy, and dearly loved ones. He's talking in frame of there's some things you take off, there's some things you put on. He's referring to the Christian home. 
Now notice, this text does not say, wives, obey your husbands. Next week when we talk about the family, it will say, children, obey your parents. So if you've got kids that might need to come in here, that, then they're welcome to come in here. And I'll do the dirty work for you. But nowhere in this text does it say, wives, obey your husband. All it says is submit. When you hear that, it begins to bristle some of us because you all are coming from a different place. Because some sit there and ask a question like, what if my husband does not know the Lord? Do I submit to him? According to 1 Peter, he says yes. You submit so that by your gentleness and your submission, they may be won over to the Lord. The only way that can happen is if the gospel has empowered you to do so. You've become one of the chosen, holy, and dearly loved ones. You've put off some things and put to death some things and put on some other things, as he mentions earlier in the verse. It can only happen if you do everything that you do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. The gospel is the only thing that can empower you to do something that he is encouraging you to do. Now, what is this text not saying? Because if, if, if it's for Christian married people, then what is it not saying? The text is not saying that the wife is less valuable. It's not saying that the wife is less intelligent or less capable. Can I just tell you, one of the lessons I learned pretty quickly in marriage is that I'm not the most capable man. I'll just tell you, as an example, when Abby goes out of town, I sit there and say, I need a detailed explanation of what's supposed to happen in the next 12 hours. And she looks at me with compassion. And I begin to write down, at 4.30, I start the macaroni and cheese. At 5, we serve dinner. When dinner's over, hopefully it takes an hour, but it's probably going to take five minutes. We're going to get baths. Once baths happen, this is the bedtime. Maybe you can watch a show if you want, if you don't know what to do with them. I mean, this is the reality I live in. If they get sick, I'll say, I don't know, go eat some nachos and maybe you'll feel better. But instead, I say, well, well let's go talk to your mother. She's got some black magic oils. She, they're essential. She puts them on them, and they're healed. I'm not the most capable person. This text does not say that wives are inferior or that one is better than the other. The scripture, in fact, will tell us that men are equal with women and women are equal with men. Just like every race or demographic are equal. It does not tell me that my wife is not equal with me because she is. The text does not tell me that my wife cannot offer her opinion because, trust me, she does. It doesn't mean that my wife will always agree with me because sometimes she does not. But what submission does look like, it means that when there's a discussion or a disagreement, she will say, Michael, I follow your leadership. When you live kingdom down in your marriage, the enjoyable marriage is made possible because these verses become the natural order of the kingdom of God. So now we need to ask, well, what is submission? Because we're going we're gonna to talk about it. Well, what is it? Now, in the Greek, this word simply means to put oneself in rank under another. Can I just tell you the American way is to not submit? Like, like literally, we were founded as a country 
and not submitting. You don't realize that, right? I mean, maybe you don't. You've watched Hamilton. Now you have. You understand. America was birthed out of anti-submission. Somebody else telling us what to do. Now in our area, you, you, you now have to compound the fact that we're in Texas. We really don't like anybody telling us what to do. In fact, if somebody tells us what to do, we'll say, just because you told us to do that, we're not going to do it. Now you compound that we're in East Texas. We really don't want to be told what to do. Amen? Okay, there we go. But the Bible's going to tell us several different places that we're to submit. We put them on the screen for you just so you can see. But, but citizens are to be subject to civil authority. I know this becomes challenging now that you've got some governors uh, requiring or demanding or now even enforcing churches to be closed. I think personally that is an infringement to where there is some room there to, to disagree and to be able to continue to meet. There could be a time that that happens to us. And I would hope that we would be good neighbors like we've tried to be. We would serve well our community, but may we be a church that strives to always continue to meet. He says in chapter 3, verse 22, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, slaves are to, to submit to their masters, church members to their leadership, children to their parents, and of course, wives to their husbands. What's fascinating about this text, though, is that submission is never demanded. It can only be given. Submission is not demanded. Wives, you submit. It's, it's a request. It is something that has to be done graciously and willingly. For instance, Jesus submitted to the Father. Jesus was fully equal with the Father, but he submitted to the Father. Jesus willingly does this. Just like husbands, you cannot demand submission from your wife. Wives are only able to give it, and biblically they should. Why? Because in the end, the husband is the head of the home. He's got the responsibility. And for many in this room, that is just really hard to do. So I'll try to soften it with an illustration. We may or may not have football this year, but I'm going to use a football illustration anyway. Let's say Dak Prescott comes to the huddle. Dak Prescott is the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys for maybe one more year. I don't know. He comes in and he calls a play. But then all of a sudden, Ezekiel Elliott calls a different play. Amari Cooper calls another play. The linemen, I don't know their names, they call a play. And everybody's got their own play. What would happen? Well, you know what would happen. Mass confusion. Nothing would happen. Now, just as the quarterback, is the quarterback equal with the rest of the players? Yes. However, the quarterback has been designated as the leader and the head in order to communicate and to take the team to where it needs to go. In marriage, it's very similar. It means that there will be a person who is ultimately bearing the responsibility to lead their family. And the wife, when she recognizes and observes the leadership of her husband, will have no issue submitting. Now, some of you hear that and you go, but you don't know my husband. You don't know what he's like. Don't worry, I'll deal with him in a minute. But I will tell you this, I've yet to find a, a husband who is leading and sacrificing and loving his wife. And I've yet to find a woman who refuses to submit to that leadership. 
Here's what 1 Corinthians 11.3 says. I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Again, submission does not mean that the woman is inferior to the man. It just means that he has the place of responsibility to lead his family. Just as Jesus prayed, thy will be done. So the husband is to love and lead, and the wife graciously comes and submits because this was God's design for marriage. Another question that we could ask, well then does submission apply today? Yes. Submission involves an attitude and response to the leadership of the husband. So a wife will have no issue submitting to her husband when her husband is leading and loving well. But here's what happens. A couple gets engaged and then they're set to get married and they have all these expectations they build into it of what the marriage is going to be like. They've watched way too many Hallmark movies and guys have watched too many movies where they've been the rescuer and they're shooting guns and all that. There's all these expectations that are built in the marriage. And because they're in love, they think, oh, we can, we can solve all the problems that we have. We'll, we'll be able to figure it out. We won't have problems like those other couples had. But then they get married. The honeymoon wears off in about six and a half hours. And she realizes, oh boy. And he realizes, oh boy. And they begin to have disappointments and failures. Maybe you say something that you shouldn't say and it becomes conflict. And Here's what a speaker said this last weekend at family camp. He said this, he said, expectations often are premeditated Expectations are often premeditated resentments. A couple has an expectation. It is not met because it's not even stated. And all of a sudden, because your expectation, your unstated expectation is not met, you begin to build resentment. And what happens is that a couple will completely miss the point of marriage. The point of marriage, as Gary Thomas will say, is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. The purpose of marriage is to image Christ's love to the whole world that he has for the church. And ultimately, your marriage is to glorify God. Now listen, if you're in a difficult situation, a difficult marriage, we want you to know we don't want you to walk alone in that. Please text us or contact us so that we can get you godly counsel. We can sit and pray with you and help counsel you to the right thing. If you're in danger or your husband is abusive, you need to get help now. Come see us, text us. We, we want to help you as you're in that journey. For wives to submit, yes, there's a submit as is fitting to the Lord. This is an act of worship for you. But husbands, here's the question. Are you bitter or better? In the kingdom, husbands, love your wives and you're not to become bitter with them. Literally, what Paul is saying is, Husbands, be continually loving your wives. The priority for the husband is to love. What does love mean? Well, there's three common Greek words that are used, and you're familiar with them because you graduated from VBS. But the first one is eros. Eros is a sensual love. It's having to do with the body or the flesh. Our English word erotica comes from this Greek word eros. Now, a lost man can love his wife with an eros kind of love. It's not hard. 
he's attracted to her. A saved man ought to love his wife with that kind of love as well. God created man and God created woman distinct and unique, and he created them to be attracted to one another. It's simply how he has designed things. You shouldn't feel guilty for being attracted to your wife. You should be. And she should be attracted to you. No amens, but okay. Phileo, phileo is another Greek word that is used. Phileo is kind of an emotional love. It's a fondness, a liking. We get our word philanthropist, one who gives money or things to those that they love or support. A lost man can love his wife emotionally. A saved man should be loving his wife emotionally. A lost man can love his wife emotionally so much to where he even weeps when she drives off to work or to wherever she's going. A lost man can write the sweetest notes to his wife. But a saved man should not become emotionally disconnected from his wife. When's the last time then you wrote your wife a note expressing her how much you love her? A Christian man is to be fond of his wife. But that's not how Paul describes how you should love your wife in this text. I mean, th those two words are great, and those should be ap applied, but, but, but that's not how Paul's going to describe. He uses the word agapeo. Agapeo. It's to love without condition. It's to love without not meeting some particular standard. It's a selfless love. It, it's a love that arises just because you love the other person. This is the type of love that transforms a selfish man into a selfless man. This is the type of love where it causes the man to give up his rights for the sake of the one to whom he loves. This is the kind of love that Paul says, this is how you're supposed to love your wife. Again, I've yet to find a woman submit to a man who's self-sacrificing, who, who refuses to, to submit to a man who's self-sacrificing, selfless, and caring in the same way. Husbands, you're to love your wives. You're to give up of yourself for them. Now, there's two things that Paul says here. One's positive, one's negative. He says, love your wives. That's positive. But the negative is this. Don't become bitter. No matter how you slice it, men, we have room to improve in how we're loving our wives. This is not one of those things where... You treat your wife like you treat that prize book. Okay, here's the illustration. Men, you have cameras. You set out food. You butter them up. You're watching them all off season. You're getting geared up by killing as many pigs as you can. And then all of a sudden it's hunting season. And you find that prize buck that you've been buttering up for two, three years. You've been watching this one. You know which one this is. And then you shoot it and you rejoice and you think your job's done because you've dressed it in the field by yourself. You've taken it to the meat market to get it processed. Then you get it mounted because that's what men do. They mount the things that they shoot. If you think marriage is like that because, woohoo, I've won. And what happens, men? Next season, you're doing the same thing. I'm not judging you for it. I'm just saying I'm willing to be the benefactor of it. You want to bring me your spare meat? I'll take it. But many of us treat our, our wives like we've got this prize. Well, I told you I loved you on our wedding day. Shouldn't that be good enough? No. 
Just, just no, that's not how it works. I had somebody ask me last, from last service, you didn't tell us what kind of gun we're supposed to use to shoot our wives. I said, I think you misapplied the illustration. Men, you're supposed to love your wives. And a biblical love, he said, is not a feeling. I'll love you when I feel like it. We, we treat sometimes our wives like, like we treat working out. I'll work out when I feel like it. Or I'll start my diet when I feel like it, which is always tomorrow. A biblical love is self-sacrificing. A biblical love is caring commitment, which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the other. Now, it will result in deep feelings. But biblical love focuses on what I must do for the other person. Okay, so how do you apply love? I think there's three things that we can apply when it comes to love. So number one is commitment. you got to have commitment. Commitment, men, is saying, I take responsibility for this. I'm going to take responsibility for this marriage. I am in this marriage. I'm not going to give up on this. You, it, listen, I, I can't command my feelings to, to, to be what they need to be, but I can command my commitment. Some of you today may need to recommit your marriage. We're going to be having a, a marriage group that's going to be meeting called called Re-Engage. You'll be hearing some information coming out soon about that, but it's, it's for any marriage at any stage, whether you think you're really mature or really immature, to help you be committed to one another. How do you apply love? You commit, but you also have self-sacrifice. Men, it might be time that we delay the nap so we can serve our wives. Giving up of our personal rights for the other. Dying to yourself to serve your wife. And then thirdly, there needs to be oneness. You realize that when you get married, you are now one with your spouse. God made it that way. And when you're sinned against or you've sinned against the other, you don't wait on that person to come to you to make it right. You go to them. Listen, when it comes to the gospel, the offended party made the first move. Think about this. In your relationship with God, who sinned and who's innocent? You sinned, and God is innocent. Yet who made the first move to reconcile you back to him? God did. It's the same way in marriage. Here's what happens. You get in an argument, you get in a tiff. I don't know if you have tiffs. We don't ever argue at our home. We just have robust dialogue. But you have an argument, and all of a sudden, you're the offended party, and you go, well, I'm just going to wait till they figure it out that it's their fault and come to me. You've never done that before in your marriage. But in oneness, you realize, I'm the offended party. I'm going to go, honey, I forgive you. I'm not ready to ask for forgiveness. I still am going to be patient. I'm going to be here for you. I'm not going to become bitter because my expectations are just breeding grounds for resentment. And I don't want to have resentment. I don't want to become bitter with you. I want to love you in self-sacrifice. In the same way that the, re the reversal goes for the wives. Wives, you've been offended. You go to the husband and say, I love you. I'm committed to you. I trust you, but you hurt me. Man, I've, I've, I've said this before, and you've heard it before. It's not anything new to me. It's not anything new to you either, but you need to be a thermostat in your home, not a thermometer. A thermostat sets the temperature in the home. And it happens so quickly that you come home and you've had a long and hard day and you're upset and your wife goes, 
you just need to take five minutes and recalibrate and maybe come back into this place because you're bringing everything from the work that Jesus did. As I've been thinking about marriage, I begin to reflect on three types of marriages that we see today. And my question for us as we close is going to be, what type of marriage describes you? There's three types of marriages. The, the first one's the shoulder-to-shoulder. The shoulder-to-shoulder marriage is really easy and naturally to fall into. The shoulder-to-shoulder marriage is the one that you're getting the kids to the ball field, that you're, you're, you're going from one thing to the next, you're doing homework, but you haven't had any homework, it's been the longest spring break ever. But you're doing homework, you're getting them bathed, you're putting them to bed, you're, they're waking up in the middle of the night, then you're putting them back to bed, then they're getting in your bed, and you're going, I thought we had a big bed, but we don't have a big enough bed, then you get a bigger bed, and then you have more kids, and they all come into the bed, then the dog comes into the bed. This is shoulder to shoulder. A lot of work in that marriage. A lot of things happening, a lot of, a lot of moving parts, and it is so natural and easy to fall into that. The next marriage is back to back. Back-to-back are those that aren't communicating. They're barely talking. They're like ships passing in the night. There's a lot of fighting, a lot of tolerating. In, in fact, often, and I'm not judging anybody's sleeping patterns, and I don't, I'm not going to, but the, the, the imagery is this. You lie in bed, you roll over on your side, and you're back-to-back to one another, just enough room to leave room for the enemy. amazing that when we do weddings, there's a moment where they're shoulder to shoulder as they're facing the ministry. But, but notice that in a wedding, you never have them do their vows back to back. You ever realize that? I commit to love you. You don't do that. What do they do? They turn facing. Some of our marriages are shoulder to shoulder. Some of them are back to back, but I hope that you can have a Face-to-face marriage. What do I mean by that? It's kind of a biblical analogy because the the Bible will talk about how God has a face-to-face relationship or God would meet somebody face-to-face. You see, a couple at marriage, they turn and they look each other in the eye. They're making these covenant and these vows to one another saying, I'm I'm committing to you. I'm going to love you in sickness and in health. I'm going to love you no matter what happens. I am for you. And so often what happens, because we've been shoulder to shoulder for some time, and then we begin to go back to back, we've forgotten what it looks like to look at your spouse face to face. And maybe today, you just take a few moments and look your spouse in the face and say, I I love you. I'm committed to you. I am for you. And I know that there have been times where we've been shoulder to shoulder, and right now maybe we're back to back, but I'm committing to you. I I want to be the husband or I want to be the wife that has a face-to-face relationship with my husband. It's not possible on your own strength. It's only possible with the gospel. It's why I love Christian weddings. Yes, I said Christian weddings. Because at a Christian wedding, nobody just stands there alone. They, They usually bring Way too many people in their wedding party. But it's a picture to say, hey, you can't do marriage alone. you got to have people surrounded around you. 
It's why the, the husband will wait at the end of the aisle for his bride to come down and she wears white to signify purity. Now, we all know that we're sinners, but we're saved by God's grace. And so God has made us clean. And the husband welcomes her just like Christ welcomes the bride, the church. He then walks up with her and then he makes some commitments and vows to her. They then have a great big party. COVID, social distance, party. And they go and they eat good food. They then celebrate. Why? Because one day when we are meted up as a, the bride with the groom, we're going to have a party in heaven. And the buffet will be big and it will be tasty and it will be good and nothing will be cold. It will be perfect just as God had designed it. And then all that is a foretaste. Life together with Christ. Your marriage should not be side to side. Your marriage should not be back to back. Your marriage should be face to face. Because one day, before the cloud, we'll see him God, we know there's some in this room that may need to respond to you. There's some that may need to pray this morning. Some may need to just make some recommitments. But God, we're asking that you would do a work in us. That we could be the church and the people you've called us to be. God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity. Now, Holy Spirit, do your work among us. In Christ's name, amen.